Good morning. That announcement uh, about Jesse Gentile that uh, he's thinking about Riverside or Avenue 54, I feel like the uh, NFL team that just, just lost out on their first round draft pick, <laughs> Jesse is, he's, he's okay if you like quality, you know, I mean, he is, he is the one that uh, basically spearheaded and, and got together the, um, the Upla Conference back uh, in North Carolina. And his wife, uh, Ellen, is uh, from um, Fullerton, from Grace Bible Chapel, the uh, Dan family. And so we, we're familiar with her and that, and uh, Jesse is just a really uh, dedicated um, person, not only to the Lord, but to, and also to the assemblies. And so he's going to be an absolute added plus to this area. And uh, maybe we can sneak him into Claremont. I don't know. We'll see, see what we can do. Um, Al called me yesterday and apologized for uh, not being able to come, and I told him, I said, well, just make sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, no. Um, but uh, he just, uh, it just shows he's a very loving and gentle man, and we miss his ministry. I'm sure you'd rather have him here than me, but uh, he's uh, uh, looking forward to coming again uh, when, I guess, they have another um, Western Assembly's home meeting. Um, what I've been having on my heart the last uh, couple of weeks, obviously, and I've mentioned it before, and that is the things in my life that are kind of coming to an end um, as far as my teaching career is concerned. And I couldn't help but think, you know, I've been kind of reminiscing back, looking back over the last 35 years and remembering people and uh, teachers that I've come in contact with and met, and specifically uh, students. And um, just doing a quick addition, uh, I I think it's been close to about 10,000 high schoolers that I've been able to uh, teach in these 35 years. And uh, just praying that somehow they were able to see Christ in me. You know, that's, that's the most important thing. I mean, anybody can teach woodshop. Well, most people can. But, uh, you know, I, I, it was, for me, it was a lot more important than that. And, you know, someone has said, at the end of your life, if all that you've, been, all that you've accomplished could, be have done, could have been done by someone who wasn't even saved, how tragic that would be. You ever think about that? All that you've done in your life if it could have been done by someone who wasn't even saved, how tragic that would be. Um, there's two students real quickly that I just want to point out. One was when I was in, up in Big Bear. We had the, the, uh, the Bible club in our house, um, the one-way club. And there was a student, he was a freshman, that uh, was invited out to the club. His name was, uh, name was uh, Jason Morozek. And I can remember... Uh, he was a typical freshman, just off the wall, you know, ADHD, B-R-A-T-T, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, Jason, the Lord, got, the, the Lord got a hold of his heart. And I can remember the one night that the gospel was given, and he was under tremendous conviction. And he says, I want to get saved. So I took him into our, our bedroom, our, Margie's in my bedroom, and we got down on our knees. And he just cried out to God. Save me. I want to be saved. I want to know for sure that I'm going to heaven. 
And God saved Jason that night. And he, you know, spent the next four years in club and really grew in the Lord. And I found out years later that he uh, became a missionary to China. And it was, uh, he was actually uh, sneaking in Bibles into uh, in inland China. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm not taking any credit for that because that was all the Lord. There's no question about that. Um, I can think of another student that, um, and I've mentioned him before at uh, Norco, uh, Joy Esquivel, and um, he stayed after school one day. He, he, I had him in my sixth period workshop class, and he started asking me questions, and he said, I've got a friend, uh, doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in the Bible, and, and uh, you know, how do I talk to him? And, all, and as we're talking, I was asking him questions, and I'm thinking, I wonder if he's talking about himself. <laughs> And so I just simply asked him, I said, Joey, have you ever asked Christ to be your Savior? Have you ever uh, uh, admitted to him that you're a sinner that you, and you repent? He says, well, no, I haven't. So I, I gave him some verses. I said, well, here, and I wrote them down. I said, take these verses home. I want you to get a Bible and uh, read them and then uh, tell, me, tell me what you think about it. I didn't feel pressured into, you know, getting a conviction, uh, conviction out of him or confession, I mean. But... Um, the next day, no surprise, he comes in as smiling from ear to ear. I knew what happened. He says, yeah, I got saved last night. I, I asked the Lord. And he grew. And uh, his senior year, he actually was the president of the Bible Club. Just, and he's going on for the Lord, too. He, in fact, he visited here a couple years ago. He just came in and just said hi and stuff. And he's So, you know, in Psalm 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That's the important thing. It doesn't matter what time of life you're in right now, whether you're getting out of high school or you're going to college or looking for a career or whatever. God's word needs to be your guide. Whenever you prepare for something, you've got to go to God's word first. Psalm 119.11, we all know this verse. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How important it is to hide God's word in your heart, to memorize it. I want you to take a look in the Bible in Luke chapter 12. And uh, this is a familiar uh, parable of a man who was preparing. Now, I'm preparing for retirement, Lord, Lord willing. Okay, it's, everything's in his, his care. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone six weeks from now. But I know that God knows because he's already there. He, he inhabits eternity. So 100 years from now, God's already there. And so he knows what's going to happen. And so by uh, submitting myself to him, his word, and his direction, uh, he'll direct me. But here's a person that didn't do that. Let's take a look at uh, Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And, the thought, and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? 
since I have no room to store my, good, my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will build or pull down my barns and build greater. And, the, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? This farmer had an eye problem. <laughs> it was I this and I that. He completely left the Lord out of the equation. Anytime you start talking to yourself, there's, you get some problems. <laughs> and this guy was talking to himself. You know, so what am I going to do here? Okay, I'm going to, you know. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard, you know, used to not hear a lot of people talking to themselves, but now when you go to the store, everybody's talking to themselves. Well, they're not talking to themselves. They got a Bluetooth and they're talking to someone else on the phone. But, you know, when that first started getting popular, I was going, what is that guy talking? He's, he's walking down, mumbling himself, going down the grocery aisle. And then I realized, oh, he's, he's talking on the phone. Um, but this person didn't have a phone. He was just simply talking to himself. He was crazy. Um, because he left God out. And anytime anybody makes decisions without God, you're in trouble, every single one. Because he knows exactly the right thing to do. And he tells us in his word what the right thing to do is. And you're in trouble like this guy was. God said, you're a fool. You're a fool because tonight is your night and you're gonna die. You know, people prepare for college, they prepare, some prepare for war in the military, vacations, some prepare to have their hair done. But how many people prepare to meet God? You know, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6 that Noah prepared an ark. There was a preparation there, but it was a preparation because he was guided by God. God told him to do it. And so he did that preparation. David, remember David, prepared, um, he prepared uh, plans for a temple, for the Ark of the Covenant to be put in there. Um, Isaiah uh, chapter 40 and verse 3, it says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Now, how do you prepare the way for the Lord? Well, you're preparing yourself. What are you preparing yourself you need to be morally and spiritually in line with God. And, and uh, the only way you can do that is to, first of all, realize that you're a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You have to repent. Luke 13.1 says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repent simply means to change your mind. To realize that you're going the wrong direction and you've changed your mind 180, and you're going to go his way. That's what repentance means. It's a change of mind and a change of direction. That leads to a change of direction in your life. And you go to the cross, and at the foot of the cross, you realize, like we remember this morning, the Lord Jesus died on Calvary, shed his precious blood for your sins and for mine. And not just... A few of the sins, not just the sins up until today, but all of your sins have been paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And when you put your faith and trust in his shed blood alone, not his shed blood plus good works, not his shed blood plus going to church, not his shed blood plus anything, but is simply his shed blood, the Bible says you're born again. You're born into God's family, and you can't be unborn. We had um, this last Thursday night, I had the privilege of speaking at the Iwana program and sharing the gospel with the young people. And afterwards, a couple of the young people came up to me, and they started asking questions. And one particular boy said, well, I've asked the Lord Jesus into my heart so many times. <laughs> and I knew, the, I knew him, and I said, Ricky, the, um, if you were to invite me over to your house, and uh, I knock on the door, and you open the door, and you invite me in. So I come in, and I'm enjoying fellowship with you, and all of a sudden you say, excuse me, I've got to go to the door. And I said, why? Well, I've got to let you in again. Uh, I'm already in. And he kind of looks at me, kind of smiles. He says, I see. Yeah. Once you've asked Christ as your Savior, you don't have to do it again. You don't, the Bible doesn't say to be born again and again and again and again. No, just once. Just be born again once. Because then you're born into God's family, and that cannot be reversed. You can't take your baby back to the hospital after it's born and say, you know what? We were really wanting a girl, and we got a guy. Can you, can you fix it? You know, they'd say, you're nuts. No, when you're born in that family, it's permanent. That's it. And when you're born again into God's family, that's permanent. It's called eternal life. Kind of gives it away, doesn't it? Eternal means never ends. And that's what God gives you as a gift. And the gift is available to every single person on the face of this earth. But they have to be willing to repent. Well, these are some of the thoughts. I think of Amos. <clears throat> uh, let's turn to Amos. That's the part of the Bible that we're probably not too familiar with. <laughs> but it, look at Amos chapter 4. <clears throat> Amos chapter 4 and verse 11. And God's talking to Israel through the prophet Amos, and he says, I overthrew some of you as God uh, overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet, you have not returned to me. You haven't repented. He says, I saved your skin so many times. And instead of coming to me, you, you've still walked away. You haven't obeyed my word, says the Lord. Verse 12. Therefore, this will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Prepare to meet your God. Everybody has to prepare to meet God. Everybody. There is no exception. And so, <clears throat> I was reading, I've been reading again, the Erwin um, Lutzer's book, uh, One Minute After You Die. In fact, I think there's a couple copies in the foyer. Please, if you haven't read that book, get your hands on it. It will really change your whole thought process when you're talking to your friends and, and your relatives and everything about uh, eternity. Um, he says in the, the foreword of that book, there's an epitaph, a writing on, on an old Indiana tombstone, which reads this way. 
Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Well, some unknown person came by after reading that and scratched a little saying below that, and it simply says this, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> Isn't that something? I'm not willing to follow you unless I know which way you went. If you go to heaven, I'll follow you. If you're on your way to hell, sorry, you're on your own. Um, so what happens when a person dies? Well, in the Bible, death always uh, speaks to us of separation. Uh, it never speaks of annihilation, in other words, completely evaporation. You and I and everybody on the face of this earth, we are only one heartbeat or one breath away from eternity. Um, back in the mid-'80s, there was a man from uh, the Laura Bible Chapel down San Diego from the assemblies down there. His name was uh, Bruce Neubauer. And Bruce was, he loved to run. He loved to run long distances, the marathon type stuff. And he um, was going to, he was slated to be the manager of the junior camp that one summer. Well, Bruce was a highly intelligent man, very much into the engineering and the electronics, and he was uh, given permission to train alongside the SEAL team down in San Diego with uh, some sort of a government contract. But uh, in order to train with the SEALs, you know, you have to be awful in good shape. Well, he's a long-distance runner, <clears throat> and they gave him a thorough physical exam. He passed it flying colors. Well, Bruce was running with the SEAL team down there in Coronado Island on the beach, and he was in the middle of the group, and all of a sudden, he collapsed. And according to the autopsy, he was dead before he hit the sand. He's in heaven now. He loved the Lord Jesus. He, there was no warning, none at all. He wasn't feeling faint or whatever. He didn't complain, at least. But God said, this is your last breath, Bruce. I'm, taking, I'm bringing you home. And then when he dies, we were mentioning that this morning, Jesus is at the, as, at the gate, and he says, welcome. But he says something else. He says, welcome home. See, I can welcome you. But there's a, when you say welcome home, that means that's where we belong. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, heaven is where you belong. You don't belong here. Now you're left here. Well, you and I are left here for a reason, and it's to tell others how they can make heaven their home. Are you doing it? Am I doing it? Really, really important. Pistol Pete Maravich. Anybody, anybody remember Pistol Pete? Okay. Louisiana State set all kinds of college basketball uh, records, uh, shooting, bas uh, shooting, playing basketball. Uh, even went into the NBA, played for a while, then retired. Came to know the Lord as his Savior. And uh, one, one afternoon, he was uh, in Pasadena, 
at a gym with some other men playing basketball, a little catch-up game of basketball with someone named James Dobson, Dr. James Dobson. Well, at a little break, Dr. Dobson was sitting in the side there on the bleachers, and Pete Maravich comes over to him to have a little chat, and Dr. Dobson said to Peter, well, how you feeling? He says, I feel great. He turns around and collapses and dies. We don't know when our last breath is. And so C.S. Lewis, listen to what he, uh, a quote out of the book. Every human being is in the process of becoming a noble being, noble beyond imagination, or else, alas, a vile being beyond uh, redemption. The dullest and most uninteresting person that you can talk to may be one day a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a whore and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. There are no ordinary people. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Mortal whores are immortal whores or everlasting splendors. That's C.S. Lewis. So those who find themselves in heaven will com be completely surrounded by friends. Friendships that were sometimes, in some cases, very rudely interrupted by death. But now these friendships will continue forever. Have you ever thought about that? Sat down, boy, I can't wait, get back. I mean, all the people that have walked through the doors here at Claremont. I just think of all these people that, are, that have gone ahead, and I'm, I'm looking forward to them, looking forward to that friendship, and that's going to last forever. Well, those that find themselves in hell, that wake up in hell, will experience exactly the opposite. No companionship. In fact, I've talked to some people and, and told them about the Lord, and they said, ah, I want to go to hell. Why? Well, that's where all my friends are. We're just going to have a big party. Well, the thing is, they'll hear the screams, but they won't see anybody. Because the Bible talks to us about the blackness of darkness forever. Jude 13 tells us that. It's the blackness of darkness forever. And I've mentioned this before, but some of you are familiar with the Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico. And uh, it was reported that at one um, group, uh, they toured down, way down into the, the catacombs down there. And you see the stalactites and the stalagmites. It's just beautiful. But then the tour guide says, well, I'm going to, I want you to see how dark it gets down here. And so he shut off the, the light. He said, I'm going to shut off the lights for, for one minute. And so he shut off the lights. And the report was from this one person that the blackness was absolutely suffocating. And after only about 30 seconds, one of the adults screamed, please turn on the lights, I can't stand it. 30 seconds, folks. How long is it going to be for hell? It's going to be for all eternity. Never without end. In Revelation chapter 9, verse 1, 
It talks about the bottomless pit. Well, a pit that has no bottom means what? You're falling. You're going to have this falling sensation and never finding ground. You'll never, you'll just continually be having this falling sensation. The, the, you know, how many of us, I know I have, have had dreams where you're falling and you're, and it's, you're, you're really anxious and you're waiting for you to wake up from the dream so that you're not falling anymore, but not in hell because you're falling for all the rest of eternity. And then it gets worse. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20, it refers to hell as the lake of fire. Now, there is no one in the lake of fire right now. Everybody is in hell, but hell will eventually be thrown in. Everybody in hell will be placed in or thrown or cast into the lake of fire. Hell right now is where people go the moment they die. It's kind of like the county jail, and then after you go through your trial, which is the, the great white throne, then you'll be sentenced permanently to what's called the lake of fire, and that would be like the penitentiary here. Um, this, boy, this one story, it's kind of hard to, to talk about this, but there was a young chemist and he worked at a particular company that had to do with the manufacturing of chemicals that uh, sterilized surgical equipment. And they, they would have a powder that um, if any of this powder at all hit anything moist, it would burst into uh, intense flame. And that's how they apparently sterilized some of these uh, surgical equipments. Well, he was gonna have a party one night and he thought, you know what? This would be kind of a fun little thing to do, you know, to liven up the party. So he, he kind of stole some of it and had it in a glass jar, took it home. And uh, <clears throat> things at the party got kind of boring. And so he, he says, hey, everybody, come on over here. Come into the kitchen. So they all come into the kitchen. And, and he opens up the jar. He takes out just a little, not even a quarter of a, a spoonful. And he puts water in the sink. And he dumps this little bit of powder into the sink and the thing just exploded with this big flame and everybody just you know jumped back and screamed and everything and and uh you know so he thought yeah it was pretty good i got a good rise out of everybody so he thought maybe maybe i'll up the uh the quantity a little bit well he took a full teaspoon and he put the water in the sink and he threw it in and the explosion was so severe that the glass jar that he had in his hand exploded and all of this powder went all over his face and his bare arms and he, he caught on fire. And people thought, well, how are we gonna get this fire out? Well, they took wet rags and put it on him, which made him explode more in flame. And he was screaming with pain. They got him to the emergency hospital and it was a dangerous situation for the surgeons to try to uh, get this guy to not continually burn. They couldn't stop the burn, the, fi the flames. And the surgeon made the decision. He says, we're going to have to take all of his skin off, his face and his arms. We're going to have to skin him alive. 
but he's wrestling, he's, he's flailing around, and that causes him to perspire, which causes the flames to go even bigger. It was an absolute nightmare. But the, the surgeons, the best they could, the surgeon cut, cut away and took all the skin off his face, all of the, off his arms, and um, then they got, got some skin grafts going. It took for hours, it took hours for this to take place. When the surgery was over, the doctor, the surgeon walked out of the emergency room and there in the hallway was one of his nurses that helped in the uh, operation. And uh, she, he, the surgeon was a Christian and so was the nurse and he knew she was a Christian. And he sat down next to her and she was just weeping, just weeping. And the surgeon said, I know how horrible that was, but think about the people that are in hell right now. That's happening to them all over their body, and there's no relief in sight. It's forever. When we think about that, how could we be so callous is to not share the love of God who doesn't want anybody to perish. He said, why, why would a God do something like, make something like this in hell? Well, God did not make hell for human beings. He made it for Satan and his followers. And, you know, David was telling me when he was going through training for becoming an LAPD officer, that uh, one day, there's two days that they, they really don't look forward to on their, uh, their training, and that was the day that they get maced, and then the day they get lasered, or, you know, the, lasered. <laughs> they don't get lasered, that would be really bad. They get tasered. And, um, and I said, well, why do they do that? He says, because they want us to experience what we would sometimes have to do to other people. You know, on the cross of Calvary, there was a three-hour period where God turned off the lights in the whole universe because he was dealing with the wrath of your sin and my sin on his son. His son experienced the horrors and the pain of hell for three hours, condensed all of the sins. So he knows how bad hell is. Number one, he created it. Number two, he experienced it for three hours because he took your place and he took my place. When I was at the Big Bear, after about two years, there was a young man, a freshman, his name was Joe Vasquez. He was in the choir. And um, he had uh, two younger brothers, a 10-year-old. He was a freshman, so he was about 14. He had a 10-year-old brother and then a baby brother. And uh, they were living in a house on a side of a hill in Big Bear City. And uh, he and his 10-year-old brother were at the top floor, and his parents and the baby were in the bottom floor. It was a cold winter night, really, really bitterly cold. There was snow outside, and apparently there was a space heater, a little space heater uh, in the house, and it caught... it malfunctioned or something happened and, and the house caught on fire. The parents just barely got out of the bottom floor with the baby. 
Joe and his younger brother couldn't get out because the flames were in the hallway and he couldn't open the windows because they had been painted shut. The father wanted to run back into the building, but the neighbors tackled him because it would have been certain death for him. And those people had to stay there and hear the horrors of those two boys screaming as they were literally being burned alive. And, and very soon, within just a few moments, the, the sounds stopped, which meant that they had died. This is what hell is about. It's not a joke. It's very real. And I just wanted, you know, what I've said with um, Chris Schroeder once told us uh, when he was speaking up at Yosemite, he said, you need to look at every single person with a big H on their forehead. Because everybody you meet will either be on their way to heaven or on their way to hell. And you have the answer. You have the answer to keep them from that horrible place. And instead, enjoy the beauties of heaven and a loving Savior. Um, Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. None of us deserve to go to heaven. None of us do. Because we're not righteous. You have to be righteous. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrate, demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. But Jesus didn't do that. He laid down his life for his enemies, people that hated him. I mean, we, we can applaud these people that saved someone out of a burning car or something like that, people that they don't know and everything like that, but would you do it for a person that you know is your enemy? Well, God did. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Three weeks ago, I was down in uh, Ontario. There's a, right there on State Street, right by uh, Gary's uh, uh, auto shop there. Um, there's a guy that does plating. He takes articles and he plates them with different types of uh, gold plating. or That's too expensive now. But <laughs> Well, I have, a, I have an award that I give out. <clears throat> um, it's called the Golden Hammer Award. And when gold was really cheap, I was able to, to play with gold, but now I, I, it's a, it looks like gold, but it's not real gold. Anyway, uh, the guy uh, found out I was a teacher, and he was very much for education. He says, listen, I'll do this for you for free. And I thought, I like that. So I gave him the, the hammerheads. I take a hammer, and I cut off the handles, and I drill out the, you know, get it all, and he takes it, and he buffs it up, and then he puts it in the plating solution and gets it all plated. Really, really pretty. And so um, when it was all done, uh, I, a week or two later, I, I came back to get, pick them up. And he said, um, he said, well, you know, here they are. And they were just gorgeous. He said, man, his name is Jerry Newman. I said, man, this is, Jerry, this is beautiful. And uh, he says, yeah, it's probably about $200 worth of uh, plating. 
I said, wow. I said, you sure you don't want anything? He says, nope. He says, this is for school. He says, I'm, I'm going to give it to you free as a free gift. So I reached in my pocket, and I pulled out one of these. And I said, well, I've got a gift that's actually more expensive than that. And it's this little card. And, I said, and it says here, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And he looked at that. And he says, wow. He says, can I, put, can I blow this up and print it up? I said, you can do whatever you want with it. I said, but please take it and read it. And ex- you know, this is the free gift of salvation. It's worth a lot more than, than your nice gift to me. Pray for Jerry you know, that, that he would accept God's free gift. Because that's what it is. God offers you right now. Because I don't know you, you know, everybody here looks like a Christian to me. I don't you know whatever a Christian looks like. But the only one that I know for sure that's going to heaven in this room is me because I was there when it happened. I was there when I got saved. And I know in my heart that, that Christ saved me not because of anything that I've done. It's because of what he did. And I just simply accepted him. John 1.12, one of the first verses that the brigaders have to learn is this. But as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. It's something that you have to receive. If I offer you a gift, if I come over to your house and I knock on the door, it's your birthday, and you got all these people in there, and I said, and I, I had this gun, I said, here, here's the gift. And you take it and you say, man, thank you for this. Thank you for this gift. Uh, what does it cost? Uh, 10 bucks you know, or 15? What did you, what did you put on? What did you just do to the person that offered the gift? You've insulted them. If it's a gift, it's free. You can't pay for the Lord Jesus. He's offered to you as a free gift. And if you try to work your way, you try to do anything to earn your way to heaven, you're basically saying to God, well, your son did okay, but I've got to add a little bit more to it. You know what I mean? You know, to make sure that the... No. It's an absolutely free gift. And you need to receive it and make it your own. This morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that you are already under condemnation? You've already been judged. You're only one heartbeat, one breath away from eternity. Do you know that? Does that bother you? I know it bothered me that Friday night that I was right in this room and I heard on that children's meeting the, guy that, the man that gave the gospel, and I knew. I said, Lord, please get me home. I'm going to talk to Mom. I want to get saved. And as soon as we got home, Mom, come into my bedroom. You know, she sat down with the Bible. We went over some verses. And as much as a little seven-year-old knows anything, I said, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you did whatever could possibly be done in order to save people from their sin. But, Father, we know that there's some people who will reject you. Oh, Father, their future is so horrible. I pray, Father, that that won't be the case for anybody in this room. Please, Father, speak to their hearts. Convict them of their sin. May they understand that they cannot take their sin to heaven. But they can receive the gift of salvation, eternal life 
by simply admitting to God that they're a sinner and that they're sorry for their sin, they repent, and they trust only in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ because your word says, without the shedding of blood, there is no taking away of sin. So it was your shed blood of your son that took away, paid the penalty for our sin. Oh, Father, I pray that those of us who are saved will not hesitate to share the good news that God loves them and wants to save them from their sin with all of our friends or even people that pass by. Lord, I just pray that whatever was said this morning that was of the flesh, that we will soon and immediately forget it. But Father, those things that your spirit has opened up our eyes with, we just pray, Father. I just pray for those souls this morning that are outside of Christ, that they won't delay. I ask this, that you would uh, bless us and, and take us home in safety in your son's worthy and precious name. Amen.